This is the number we always play when people ask us to play more, because we know that after we play this, they couldn't possibly ever want to hear us again. We were loud, we were coarse, and we were strange. He had so much talent, it defied everything. You insist on very high and exacting standards. I think if you shoot any lower than that, you're going to wind up with something sleazy. Watch out where the huskies go, don't you eat that yellow snow. He was just writing all the time. He wouldn't stop. He heard things a particular way, and then he tried to manifest them in the world. Each show was like a composition. was considered the Pied Piper of Laurel Canyon. Any kind of rock star, especially the British guys who came to town, wanted to meet Frank. I haven't heard anything like it before or since. Frank embodied everything. You couldn't say, oh yeah, that's rock and roll, because it wasn't. It's jazz, no, it's pop music, no. Well, what the hell is it? It's Zappa. Hey there, people, I'm Bobby Brown. The Parents Music Resource Center wants a labeling system. Frank became the go-to person because nobody else in the record industry showed up. And my name is we live in a country where we're supposed to be free. We supposedly have democracy here. What do we do? Sit around and go, mm. He was on a mission, and he was going to accomplish that mission no matter what. I am in the process to see if it's possible for me to run for president in the United States. It's time for a revolution. At every point in his life, he was trying to do the best thing that he could to have no regrets. Don't waste your time. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me about this really incredible documentary. Um, I found out about it, I think, when Alex was in the early development stages and he was like garnering or trying to get Kickstarter funds and, and trying to like crowdsource a, a project, which was many years ago. Um, I, I mean, for you, when did you find out about this? And, you know, what what's your relationship to Frank and his music? Well, yeah, let's, let's put those up. I mean, I came in pretty late, but I came in at a point, I mean, about, I think it was September of 19, um, I, at a point when Alex realized that that having a score was going to be critical to telling the story. But, but the problem was, how do you how do you put someone else's music relative to Frank's music? Um, mm. And uh, and that was really that was where where the discussions really began. And it was a very, very daunting idea to come up with. It was like, what do you how do you do this and how do you how do you pay the proper respect and homage. How do you respect Frank's artistry and put score uh, to tell his, to go in, in in a good portion of this film? How do you, how do you work that out? So that was really, really, uh, you know, I at first heard about it. I was like, I, I, I couldn't even imagine how it could be done, much less trying to do it myself. Yeah. And, uh, but, but Alex really guided me in, in terms of how to do that and how to come up with a, a solution to it. Um, and, and that was really, really key. I think something that's amazing about Frank's story is that he was always kind of a master of his own work in the sense of re retaining, um, you know, artist rights or trying to have a very close um, control and relationship with the releases. And so, you know, when the film opens up and you have this vault basically in his in his home, I imagine the home studio, 
and you see all the material and all the masters. And I imagine that for Alex, it was just a question of what do you know, what can we use and what can, what's not going to be used? You know, I, I imagine that for you, was it easy to spot a film knowing that there's going to be so much material of Frank's throughout or like, how did you guys go about the, the spotting session then? I, I think that the, the point of the spotting, which, which it's a really good question. In other words, where do you, where do you do this was to, uh, the, the purpose of a score too was to accentuate. Uh, okay, this is a really dorky analogy, but I love those. So, you know, um, how how in a in a in a multi-course meal you can sometimes have like a sorbet in between stuff, like a, like a just a simple thing to cleanse the palate, to kind of change, to refresh you for this amazing culinary experience you're about to have. So, if you yeah. think of this all as food, right? This is this multi-course, unbelievable meal that you're going to hear Frank's the the range of sound that you have in here and the range of musical ideas is so extraordinary that you kind of need something to give you uh, uh to get ready for the next idea and to emotionally connect you maybe to the story and to and to clear the space open it up so that this huge other shift musically can happen you couldn't really categorize it you couldn't say oh yeah that's rock and roll because it wasn't it's jazz. No, it really wasn't. It's pop music. No, not at all. Well, what the hell is it? It's Zappa. And I knew that it had changed my life. That's the thing. I didn't live my life and then look back on it and go, yeah, that was a life-changing moment. I walked out of that theater and I was actually disoriented. I, my whole world had been shaken up. You know, for you, what, what was it like to, you know, kind of represent another composer's, you know, work or life through through your music? I, I think that a key idea was um, something that, that Alex and I talked about is that is that Frank liked film music, mm -hmm. is that he liked the idea of what a film composer did of coming in and representing and, and uh, being subservient or underneath to the story to let the story be prevailing and to write music which is the most with the sole intention of narrative hmm. to write music which is there to drive support embellish narrative not for music to be in the forefront of the idea but to be secondary to narrative and and um once i realized that he that that zappo supported that idea i could just go in and really be myself yeah and find what is my emotional connection here and how can i tell this narrative how can i contribute yeah uh, i really like your choice of instrumentation i, I think it's like a hang drum is that what it is or it's a the, yeah, the, the not, hand yeah there is it's not in this room i would, I would okay grab it for you I, I, I know the sound very well. I have a good friend who plays it, and um, it, it's a very it, it invokes a very wonderful tone and just percussive nature. How, like, did you start with something like that, or how did you how did the sound evolve? Because there's great choice of instruments. Well, I, I'm that you know the hang drum seems to me sort of it's like an inverted steel drum, right? And that's what the, I had one built for me that I okay. really like, and I started using it. Um, I used it extensively in a series called The Following uh, with Kevin Williamson that, that Kevin Bacon started. And I used it to create these sort of modal um, uh, pat uh, rhythmic 
pads, like these, 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 these just sort of evolving ideas. And I've always really, I've always liked gamelan music a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and and so there's something about the bell tones that you know, you have this very complex overtone series where you, you pitches defined very differently when you have a metallic thing which is struck and then my my drum is something called an earth tone scale and i don't really remember exactly what it is but mm -hmm. it, it's it doesn't it sits somewhere in between being major and minor and it also has if you if you hit it from one place start at one place you can kind of get a phrygian vibe going on so it was it just felt right it felt like that was you know i picked it up and I don't really try to get too once I, once something feels right. I don't try to put it back into language. So the language, yeah. I think, in scoring a film, you start with the language, then you get cross over out of language into feeling, and but to try to go back again, try to decide why is it right doesn't isn't isn't to me a musical idea. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a transition from from linguistic ideas to sound. But don't try to come back because then you're. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, we went past yeah. language. You went past. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because um, listening to your music alone, separated from you know Zappa's music, which is used in the film, which is there's a lot of in, in both. Um, I feel like your music allows the audience to be a little more introspective and take maybe Frank's journey a little more of just a. a I don't know, of seeing it through a lens of an artist, of seeing it not just, um, you know, maybe the, the persona of how he is on stage. You know, what, when you guys were spotting, you were trying to define the right sound and tone because there's great piano moments, there's, you know, great string moments and arrangements. You know, where did you, did you guys land on that feeling um, early on? Or yeah, what was the, the development of it? I mean, there's certainly a shape. Um, I, I think that there's, there's, there's maybe in in his childhood there may be even almost almost like a very subtle Italian influence. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe there's maybe there's a little of that. I, I try not to get too literal with these ideas. They're just yeah. again we're we're leaving language. We're going to another place. And so um, uh, and then and then I think the claymation aspects of the film was where the palette could really expand out because you're getting you're getting visually uh, so far out. You know, you're really, really departing um, from uh, just these extraordinary images that, that, that uh, uh, push the edge of, of what the mind can even conceive of. And and so that's where the palette could just get really weird as anything. And I, I used a lot of plugins and I just kind of just went down a, a strange little path and, you know, found out where I was going. But but tying it in, keeping, keeping um, uh, organic instrumentation, keeping an organic feeling pervasive through it was very important to me um mm. uh maybe there's a subtext there of just of of humanity maybe there's just just that you wanted to feel players you wanted to feel people being players and playing instruments yeah yeah i love how he kind of talks i mean he mentions that if i remember right like in terms of and maybe he's more spiritual than religious or, or specific in terms of kind of where he likes to draw the line in terms of uh, of his religious beliefs it, it feels like i mean i, I think for him it, it came across to me as you know someone who has a deeply just dedication to his music that 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 that, that was his life choice he you know it wasn't like he had other 
I mean, he had his family and, you know, I imagine, you know, his, his personal life and relationship there. But I got the sense, obviously, that like his life was his music and the studio and, and, and the musicians that he surrounded himself with. It just, you know, he was a one man army. It wasn't like he relied on others to uh, kind of maybe fulfill his musical habits or tendencies, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's there's so much there, and that's there's so much in the film, and this is where Alex did. It's it's almost an unimaginable feat that he was able to capture the scope of of a life of, of Frank's life uh, yeah. in a way that you can have some access to it. I mean, you have sixty some albums. You have. Yeah. Um, I, I was just sitting there before this thinking about what do we want to talk about? And then all of a sudden I stumbled across the doo-wop album, which I didn't really know mm. too much about and found out that there's references in there to, to Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. And it's mm. like, there's just, there's it's just almost an infinite number of paths of not only musical exploration, but Frank was able to connect that philosophically towards what I think is human existence is, is how do you live? How do you live in this modern world? What's important? What's significant? And uh, uh, I think Stravinsky approached that idea. I think Zappa approached that idea. Um, and I think that that's perhaps the, sig- the storyline that I find most interesting about this is uh, given the situation of the, of the modern world, how do you live? What do you do? Where do you start? And, yeah. and Frank just challenged himself constantly to to challenge himself musically to push into new terrain um and to me that's an a plus life that's a that's it yeah yeah Yeah. so for you when when you did so wait when did you find out about this project then what what month was it when was it i think it was september so it was like september october november of of 19 you know could you imagine if you if i had known what was about to happen in the world um (laughs) you know um yeah yeah. I mean, so so with the amount of time that you were given, I mean, you, at that point, did they already have a locked edit? Well, what was the the progress of the film? It was pretty far along. Um, mm. But again, you know, th- then but then there had to be all the, this idea, this coming in with this idea that now there's going to be a significant portion of the film which is going to be scored. Um, mm. Required a lot of thinking, a lot of ideas, a lot of back and forth with myself and Alex. And Alex. Um, I think it's a testament to how clearly he understands a subject was able to give me very, very precise. This is working. This isn't working. Um, we were able to, to, in a, you know, in a couple months really hone in, um, quickly into what was contributing to the narrative, what was contributing to the story. Yeah. Uh, and that felt really good because uh, I was, I, I've never been so, uh, uncomfortable in starting a score thinking about what are other people going to think of me putting music against Frank Zappa. I really didn't want to do it. I really was just, yeah. I was actually really terrified. Yeah. I, I, I don't know the word. Yeah. I don't know the word. Yeah. yeah it's, was. There, there's, you know, there's people who have a vision, a, a mind, um, yeah, a vision, a, an idea of who Frank is. And, you know, I think if you kind of rub people the wrong way or go in a direction or feel that doesn't maybe prescribed to, to you know their thought then it's gonna you know catch people off guard which i don't think your score did at all but i can t- i can i definitely understand well, it probably know. will somebody you know i mean okay, someone's yeah, sure, gonna right. say this doesn't you know and, and and that's fine i mean you know what and and people yeah. need to do that and it needs yeah. you need to be that kind of, and, and maybe frank would have done it 
You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't know, but but um, uh, but I I think that that's I encourage people to do that. I encourage them to think really openly and freely about it. Does this relate to it? To be really critical, to really think about music and what is the point and what is the purpose? Um, uh, I'm I got th- thick skin, so come at me if you don't like it. Let's discuss it. We can. I'll make you a coffee and let's talk. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, so how much material did you think initially you needed to cover? I mean, what did did Alex create spaces for you and montages and moments, or yeah, how, how did you start to determine the amount of material that needed to be, um, you know? Written? Well, it it grew a fair amount um, as we started to see the success of it, and we started to mm-hmm. see that it was feeling right, and that that this that by creating some space around in between Zappa's works was. I think accentuating those works and putting them maybe I think you could use the analogy of a picture frame a little bit mm-hmm. um, is that we were framing his work, I think very effectively by, by carving out space, but, but the silence didn't work. Yeah. And so um, it, there had to be a fill in. So I think there's some 35, 40 minutes of score in the film, which is pretty big score. It's pretty, yeah. pretty large amount of terrain to cover. Um, I tried to uh, place the themes of the score that don't have names or any, they don't really have an, I don't have anything other than the theme. They don't have anything other than musicality to them. I hope they have musicality. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if they don't, we can discuss that too, but um, <laughs> yeah. they just simply are themes and they, uh, and placing them in different areas to pull you to to accentuate emotion was, I think, a priority. Mm. Mm. Um, That's great. Yeah. And and to leave room for dialogue, to leave you know, it's, again, you have to be a film composer because that goes back to a, I think, a fundamental idea of what film music is. Something that James Newton Howard really schooled me heavily on when I was starting is that there's a strong correlation between film music and the history of opera and Mm. that film music, music and film is tied to the concept of recit and aria, right? Mm. So you have, you have big moments, which are aria and you have, you have narrative moments where you're driving a story and that's the recit. And so, um, uh, Maybe I think for the most part, I'm the recit. So I'm, I'm <laughs> and, and then and he, in framing these giant Zappa arias. Mm-hmm. So it's another way to look at it. There's a, there's a gazillion yeah. ways, you know? Yeah. So, so where do you tend to go when you are in the writing phase? Is, is it on a piano, one instrumentation, or do you, at what point do you touch a computer? You know, where, where do you, where's your process start? Um, well, you know, I'm primarily a guitar player. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I did pick up the guitar quite a bit during this. Um, and I'm a horrific piano player, um, okay. which serves me very well as a composer because my fingers have no idea where to go. Um, so, uh, but I did. But you, you hear there's a fair amount of piano in here, and so uh, I did. I did write on the piano a, a fair amount. Um, two guys that work with me, Nick Samiti and David Stahl, are uh, additional com- music composers on the score. And David ended up playing a, a fair amount of the piano to make it, I think, have a more of a. a precise and emotional touch has a beautiful touch as a player and Nick contributed a lot too. So those guys get a big, you know, uh, kudos for their work on the score. They really were a big part of this and turning stuff around and, um, the amount of exploration that we did. Um, Mm. but so that was, I, I think that when I'm writing, I mean, I try to, I, I keep a guitar handy around me at all times. The hang drum showed up quite a bit. Um, 
and I just grab whatever is I'm thinking of, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever my hands reach for. I just grab that. I got my, my mandolin back here too. I played mandolin mm-hmm. a lot, but that didn't make it to it. Actually, I think I did play mandolin on one place in the beginning, mm. but I, I can't remember if we left it in. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when it comes to your, you know, recording the rest of the strings and the arrangements that you're doing, where did you guys end up going? How much of that can you do at home versus having to go to a stage? Um, very small uh, group of musicians on it. You know, we were, uh, um, but, but, it, but so we didn't have a, it was a, it was a small studio here in town and we, uh, and we just, you know, got through it and did it in a day. Um, which oh, was wow. interesting. It was interesting. It ended up being the anniversary of Frank's passing, which I didn't mm. find out. I didn't realize that. Um, and it was, uh, it was kind of an emotional thing to, to figure out, to find out later. Did that, did Alex attend, uh, the, the session? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex, um, I mean, Alex is very involved in music. His son, um, who I haven't met Alex's son, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to, um, who was, uh, I guess a fantastic trumpet player. And um, so I think music is a big part of the winter household and mm-hmm. uh, he has a fantastic knowledge where you can cross over and I can talk about music in a musical way. I can go beyond just the emotional language of music and use um, terminology, which can be very hazardous and dangerous if someone doesn't have a precise understanding. You know, yeah. there's a famous story. Have you ever heard the story about the? I don't even know who where it started, but the but the half octave where someone said some scoring session, someone said something was the flute's too high and said, "Well, I'll lower it an octave," and they lowered it an mm-hmm. octave, and then that was too low. Well, I'll go half an octave. You know, so yet so musicians get this joke a lot because that's one of the funniest things ever said to musicians. Um, but it, so you have to be very careful of. I think as a film composer, when you go into our language of music on a technical level, because if it's misunderstood, you can create a real rat's nest of communication. How, how does your pers- uh, perspective change on the work that you're doing in terms of from the writing stages to the scoring and then obviously like seeing it with picture? Do you have a preference or not preference, but, you know, uh, yeah. How does your perspective change throughout the process of tr- trying to find your way? Oh, um. You mean just my perspective and when I try something that doesn't work as opposed to getting to the final idea or? I feel like sometimes when people start a project, they might have a very clear direction and they'll head in that direction. And then I they might never react. do. I do. I do. Yeah. I, oh, so yeah, I never have a clear direction in the beginning. I have yeah. um, what I try to find in a, and what I've worked with, with over, over the years is I try to. Um, again, I'm going to go back to stuff that James Newton Howard taught mm-hmm. me because I, I learned so much working with James is that uh, there was a term that that was called seeing what sticks to the film. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, for some reason, some sounds stick to some images better than others. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. Why? So this is dependent on color and shape and movement. Almost there's a, maybe perhaps there's a syntax to uh, to visual images and there's some sounds that adhere that glue to these shapes and colors more than others and so uh, one of the things that can be done early on in scoring a film is you just simply play all sorts of stuff against it and you start to listen to what the film 
boy, I'm sounding like some weird guru here, but you start to listen to what the film wants. Like it literally will start to tell you what, what is going to stick to this? What's going to, what can these images hold on to in a supportive way? And it's amazingly diverse from film to film, what type of sounds will work. Um, you just find, you know, I remember one of the most difficult films I ever worked on to find sounds that it wanted was Office Space. Um, sure. Because Office Space, there's a fair amount of score in there, but it every scene worked with no music, but the film needed music. And so where did you put it and what was it? And it's really tricky, really tricky. Uh, you know, and so when in doubt, play Hawaiian music, which was kind of the solution. <laughs> yeah, Office Space and, I mean... I feel like uh, composing for comedic filmmaking is is a whole nother craft uh, of of understanding the timing and you know the rhythm of of, of scenes. Um, you know, at, at what point did you guys figure out you know that what um, what's the best way to say it? Like, I don't know. Fr Frank's story is one that I, I feel like it's a it's an artist story, and artists resonate to his personal journey because it's it's we always feel like we're running out of time um where the clock is against us when it comes to projects when it comes to our expectations um what we think we should be doing and obviously with his you know terminal diagnosis it, it was a, a real challenge for him to kind of understand what his output could look like you know um did you guys want to that third act? Did you want to treat it differently? And when it kind of like from the diagnosis on, like, is there a tonality shift that that was, was made? Well, okay. To get really down to it here, mm -hmm. being alive is a terminal diagnosis. If you, if you really come to terms with what it means yeah. to be alive, it means to be, if we want to go to Jean-Paul Sartre, we can talk about moving toward you. You're moving. We're, we're all moving towards, right. towards the end here. Um, and this year I think has pointed, really pointed that out. And so what are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do? Um, I think Frank Zappa did more than almost anyone can imagine how he embraced that time. And that's, yeah, that is what the third act I think is, is about. And to me, and maybe why this film is, the most important thing I've ever been a part of is because it speaks towards that idea so perfectly and so beautifully about what are you going to do? What are you going to, what are you going to be? How are you going to live? How are you going to present yourself? What, what is important to you? And, um, and, and I just think that the, the, the message he sent is perfectly said mm. um, and, and Alex captured it. And that's what's mm -hmm. so amazing, you know. Yeah, the, the um, I, I love the genre of, I mean, just you know, music, musical biography or subjects, you know. And for me, I I'm definitely familiar with his music. I didn't know much about his life and personal life and his early years, um, only because I've I've only you know been around what when his as his music has been around, not when the, the individual was. Um, did you ever have a chance to see or meet Frank? I didn't. And it's, and, and, and that's, I didn't see him and I didn't meet him and, and yeah. I should have seen him. And that's a big mistake yeah. on my part. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, and I haven't spoken to him in years, but, 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 but Tommy Mars, who was in the band, mm -hmm. uh, we were good pals in the nineties. And, um, Tommy told me, um, so many stories about 
mm-hmm. being in the band and how intense it was. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a, a lot of, it, it, I was, I'm, I was just fascinated with that. Um, uh, so no, I didn't. I, I, and, and just the fact that I never went to a show is just, it's stupid. So I apologize <laughs> to earth. No, that's all right. It's more of a question because it's just it's like I mean it's the things that the things yeah. that I like. How could I miss? How could I miss that? And I did it. I missed it. Well, I think it's just interesting in terms of like your relationship to the material, to the individual, never having a chance to meet him. There's many times when I've listened and experienced people's work and never met the person because they've passed on. But, you know, I've had a chance to listen to their work, whether it's been music or, you know, sound recordings and sound designs. I just find that the like the way of honoring the person or experiencing them through their work to me has always been an interesting relationship when we're just left with what they left behind, which is a lot, like you're saying, Frank left so much behind. So you kind of like you're pulling together a puzzle of trying to paint a picture for someone's life and who they were. But obviously, you know, there's so much great material that they captured over the years, you can kind of maybe get a sense of what it was like to be in the room with with the person. Yeah, and I think so. and, and, and for me, there's a lot of uh... I mean, I remember trying, I remember when someone, when I got to music school, I was at USC music school and I remember show, someone showing me the black page. Um, do you know, you know what, that's this, it's probably yeah. the most, it, it takes musical notation and, and, and rhythmic ideas, ideas to a level that were probably thought to be inexpressible in traditional music language um, before it was written. And it's a piece that Frank wrote and it's in the film. Mm. And um, and I remember seeing that my freshman year of music school, and just thinking, I, I don't even I I don't even know what this is. I don't even, and I, you know, I still don't, and I still yeah. don't. I still look at it, and I'm like, I don't know what those rhythms really are. And then I listen to it, and it sounds so musical when it's performed. Um, and um, but that that kind of that idea, uh, it feels like I'm encountering that felt to me in my life, like I was encountering Frank Zappa when mm. I sat down and looked at the black page and thought, what, what is, what is this? What in the world is this thing? And how intimidating is it? Um, it's unbelievable uh, uh, what is represented on that piece of paper. Did you have a chance to, did, that, did Alex have a chance to show you or did you see any of the, uh, yeah, any of the compositions that he was working on that he did have that maybe had surface or that weren't ever actualized oh yeah scores that weren't recorded yeah no i would i would love to look at that mm. i mean i love to I, I, that would be really cool to see some of the things that were unfinished that's the thing about you know these artists you know from michael jackson and prince and there's so many you know, tupac you know there's these all these artists that have all this material that, that, that they've recorded and then after their passing we just find that there's you know, material. I, I, I just seen that that opening shot of the of his vault. I can only imagine. You know, for right. someone who had a home studio, at any time could go down and record something. And you know, at the time, I imagine tape wasn't as hard to come by as it is now. But or yeah, you know, just <laughs> or or uh, I mean, or the written scores, which would probably right. and and the type of music that that was being composed by Frank at that time is probably pretty hard to hear in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're dealing with with um, pretty tricky stuff to look at a score and actually hear it, hear it, hear it. So, um, but I would still love to see them, love to take a look at those. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, but w- was there anything that I think maybe like when you first found out, like, I-, I can understand being intimidated, you know, of just 
the idea of of trying to represent his story through your music, which I, I think is just you, you executed so well. I mean, listening to your score by itself is just like a really incredible journey because oh, it captures. Wow. Thank you. Well, I just it, it captures a lot of. That's why I, I like I like hearing film scores in context of the film, but then listening to it by itself. You know, obviously, there's look at the, the the track names that there are, you know, from you know the various the various kind of um, moments and kind of milestones in, in the film, the story points. L like, when did you guys figure out that you kind of covered everything that you wanted to through the score? Because I imagine with a shorter amount of time, you're limited to in terms of how much you can do, and maybe only like you were saying, you only recorded one one day. I mean, like, did you feel like you you were trying to chew off too much in the initial beginning or like what was the balance of the two of you and Alex kind of understanding with the time and expectation of where score needed to carry like how much you needed your score your material needed to uh, you know be represented yeah yeah no it's a really good question and I think that I think that it goes to um looking at the film and yeah. you know we we played back the whole film we did complete viewings um, and that's the really the, the way to do it. Uh, the hard part is this, is that the hard part for me uh, is that once seeing a film, the sec when I see it, the first time I see it, it, yeah. it imprints into my head in a way that it's very hard to unsee it. Um, and one of the challenges of being a film composer is actually not using that sort of recorded image of the film in your mind when you're listening, when you're viewing the current version of the film mm -hmm. and not remembering what was there, but seeing what is there. Um, mm. And, and that, that's a skill that really takes a lot of time. And I think as you get, as I've gotten older and my memory has gotten a lot worse, <laughs> uh, I've gotten much better at it. So um, yeah, maybe I'll, I, and, and I tend to not really remember um, I, I don't know. I, I remember really weird details. I remember stuff I read, but I don't remember a lot of like people and things like that. I can remember chess moves and mm -hmm. books I've read. That's and bluegrass songs. That's about it. Yeah. So when you guys finished, what, what, when did you guys pretty much have to wrap up and deliver for you? For your, your it song? was. I think it was literally. We're talking almost a year to the date. It was. I, but I think wow. we. I think the final mix, final playback was literally the day before. Um, it was probably the December 20th around there. So it was like sort okay. of everything closing down for the holidays. Yeah. 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 And, um, do you like to go into the mix sessions? Do you like to be present? Do you, yeah. How do you like to navigate that? Oh yeah. I, I like to go to the mix stage. I, I don't, I'm very useless there to be there uh, for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, and quite honestly, my ears get numb very quickly. And the process and the way uh, and, and the way that you need to dub a film is you need to go over things again and again. And I'm thinking so much about music that my ears just exhaust out and I'm just hearing nothing. So yeah. I have to get out of the room, come back in and then really focus, sit down, go through a whole playback. But I'm, I'm pretty good at it now. I can I can hear when I feel something is out of place, too loud. It's mm. it just not connecting. Um, one of the I think one of the skills that it's taken me decades to figure out but i'm you know i'll probably figure out at my very end of my life is that when something isn't working there's a very tiny voice in me <laughs> that says hey this sucks you know um and the 
maturity to listen to that little whatever it is instinct whatever it is has taken me decades to just learn to not get in the way of that intellectually mm. but to listen up when i get that little sensation hey that's not working um and to not argue with it to acknowledge it to really honor it and go down the road to trying to use my brain now to figure out what is the problem okay mm. to cuz i always now i trust it all the time when i hear that little thing this isn't this 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 cue's not working this is something's wrong about the music here um i i don't disregard it the only time i'll really push it aside is just there's no time and i'm getting in the way by trying to make the time to do it or if everybody else disagrees with me uh but i'll still make my my myself heard um because that's my responsibility to the film at all times is to just to give my instinct give my instinct give my instinct so th- i i'm that i think that's one of the hardest things to develop um uh, in this field is the ability to navigate between what you know and what you feel mm. um and uh and it's and it's an opportunity for me to always get better at it, to always get better at listening to my gut you know i i don't if you if you're into this stuff there's uh a, a scientist that i really love i think his name is demasio and mm-hmm. i think he's studying at us he think he's a lot of his work is done at usc and but but literally that the that the that the gut is a second brain it really functions like a brain and so really learning to think of and feeling what you get in your gut as 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 a form of cognition um mm. so this is kind of the stuff i'm into um Uh, and and how far i can really take that um as a human in listening to that and then using this this guy up here to navigate well how do i solve that mm. right you get mm. you get what i'm saying these yeah yeah, yeah. it's always a question of you know people under pressure in terms of uh, of just reacting that muscle memory uh, of going in a process or a thing that just feels natural and feels like the least resistant Oh yeah. Um, There, there's yeah. a there's a moment and and there's a moment in and I won't even tell anybody where it is but there's a moment mm-hmm. in in the Beavis and in the original Beavis and Butthead movie in mm-hmm. uh, Beavis and Butthead in America. Do America, yeah. Yeah. And um and there's a there's this one moment in the score where I I there's a clear mistake and I talked <laughs> myself out of fixing it. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> and um and I just, you know, and I just I kept rationalizing it that this was oh no that makes sense if i look at the notes on the page that adds up and that makes but it still sounds wrong to me to this yep. day it drives me crazy you know what i mean and that's kind of my benchmark for for always listening to the to, to the musical instinct and maybe this is something to really talk about 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 what i think a lot of the musicians that that played in in with frank then that, that perhaps that were, were were honing in on what makes a musician transcend what they know into um creating music which is which is ab- above and beyond right yeah i love the perspective of like these kind of like you know session day players versus someone like steve i who was kind of that in a way like yeah. he was just a, a hired gun but knowing that the potential of these players is so great uh that being pushed out of their comfort zone isn't fun and it isn't something that people like it feels like you're being told to do something that just feels mean or just I, i don't know it just it 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 you know rubs you the wrong way but ultimately people understood that that was what made frank a cla- the type of collaborator that he was it you know yeah. it's, it's it's serving his vision but really yeah. like yeah or or if you look at i was just before this i was looking at some i was looking on youtube at some some of of frank's greatest guitar solos right oh wow and yeah 
and there's there's a there's this one moment I don't I forget what the what the song was, but where um it's starting to sound a little bit like Adrian Ballou. And I'm and I'm like and I'm being I'm sort of a King Crimson fanatic and mm-hmm. um and then I'm wondering well wait a minute is that who where did that where is the genesis of that and where's the crossover um and and you probably could ask Adrian Ballou this question I've never met Adrian but he's a guitar player that I've always just cherished and loved and everything with Robert Fripp um, mm-hmm. everything out of King Crimson is just you know amazing to me um, so. So, and I think that that's what's so cool about this is that the number of people and the number of great musicians in the band just blurred the line in between um, where was this music coming from? Was it, was it, was it the two of the, was it these people all being in one band together? Was it the cross pollination of all these ideas? Um, mm. You know, the, I mean, you look at the list of, of players and it's just, it's just so stunning. It's, it's, it's shaped so much other music. Yeah. Like his hand, it just, if you think of it as this tree, it just grew out into so much music. It, it's one of those things, it, it doesn't happen very often, but it, it's only, it, I think it's only after you have the perspective of looking, you know, so many years away from it that you see. I mean, at the time, I'm sure it was, it felt avant garde, it felt out there, it felt weird, it pushed the norm and, and challenged people as an audience of like, what are we. Is this music? What you know? There's yeah. There's so is many, this music? Yeah. Is and, and, yeah. and that's and and this is and this is a really good question. Is is mm-hmm. this music? And and obviously yeah. you know a lot of the composers of the time. Um, you know you have. Um, is it? I always forget. Is it four minutes thirty three seconds or three minutes? Oh, John Cage. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Where you have this, yeah. the ultimate question is silence music. Yeah. Um, and I I can confidently say that these subjects were on the table, right? Yeah. Um, and and the and the and that what is music? I was just reading this morning how Plato wanted to ban music, flute music mm, in the Republic. You know, right. he thought he thought that flute music in particular was was a, a particular problematic because of what it invoked in the human soul, and that and then in a properly run state, you wouldn't have any any flute music at all. So there you go. Thanks, Plato. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, I think it's interesting to do to tell Frank's story now in you know in in this year of where we are and um o- only because the the social norm the expectation of what is you know the right way to do anything has been thrown out the window there is no right way and it, it makes us all kind of like like we were talking about earlier of like looking in of what you know what our purpose is or you know how we use our time and yeah you know it really forces us to do something that maybe we never really wanted to face because it just never was right in front of us like it was now so it's uh yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm really optimistic with all the challenges that people are facing now um that that maybe something beautiful musically will happen from this Mm. um that maybe um that maybe some wonderful renaissance of 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 musical greatness of human emotional Mm. expression through music will be uh, uh the result of 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 challenge right um and and i and i stay ridiculously and probably stupidly optimistic in that but i do i do think mm-hmm. that i do think that a lot you know and i really want um uh that to happen and to 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 to, to the forefront to the continuation of humans finding a way to express what they feel mm-hmm. and what is important about how they feel and communicating that to another through music is so fundamental to to existence and so fundamental to being human 
And that's why this film to me is, is critically important. Mm. Um, it is, is, you know, I keep saying that when, when advertising <laughs> music products starts to be about how good it sounds rather than how convenient it is, we'll be rounding yeah. the corner. Right. As long as the as long as as long as you see products out there that just advertise convenience over quality, we're heading down the 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 you know a, a nasty quagmire. But um, that may turn. I hope it turns. Mm-hmm. I hope we get to see a great great musical renaissance. I feel like this film um, should be seen. You don't. Well, here's the first thing I would say is you don't have to be a fan of Frank Zappa to appreciate um, the just genius. Uh, artist that he that he is you know it, it doesn't you know for me it's not like i own i own a frank zappa album i'm i, I that's actually that's not true i own one which is the uh quad the quad one which is like uh-huh. a quad album he did yeah uh i so actually i take that back i do own a frank zappa album um but it's not like i listen to it uh, on the regular basis but i i could tell you that from watching the film what i what i definitely took away is that the artist the artist's journey is one that is is universal. That um, the individual's kind of expectation of what they could be doing or should be doing or what their place in the world is still relevant. And um, I, I just feel like that seeing it through Frank's lens to me was, I don't know, in, in a time when we we feel like we're all as a composer's life. You know, it's kind of a life in the studio by oneself. You know, it's it's not really collaborative until you start bringing other players in recording. Um, yeah. But yeah and, and, yeah. And I think you're touching on what's so, what's so beautiful in, in, in Frank's life and how, and how Alex winter was able to capture it is. So is this, is this about music or is it about living? And, yeah. and could he have been a painter? Well, he, he was at such a multifaceted yeah, yeah, yeah. artist. Right, it, yeah. it, it, you know, what, um, it, what, what is, what are we really looking at? What, what, what is the subject, you know? And I think that, mm. I think that that's where this mu- movie, this film talks about living. It yeah. talks about being true to yourself about, about expression. Yeah. That's great. Um, well, it's coming out. It's, I believe it's November 27th, if that's right. Um, it's going to be on demand and in theaters and, um, you know, I, I think it won't be too long until your soundtrack and your, the work will come out too. Um, so oh yeah, keep... I'm ready. <laughs> hey, well, I, hope, I really hope yeah. people enjoy it. You know, but but more importantly, is that is that the score contributes? Is that this score contributes to the telling of this incredible story? And that's 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 where I hang my hat. I, I think for fans of of his music, they're going to be pleasantly surprised by the the soundtrack release. It's an insane. Well, you said it was the first time that your work has been released on vinyl. So, I mean, that's exciting, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is there um, more material that wasn't on the release um, that was used in the film? Or is it pretty much? I think that's I mean, there may be a few scraps here and there. But I think I think, you know, sometimes there's more scraps left over in the end. But but um, but there was probably a few abandoned ship ideas early on. I usually try three or four things and um you know, I, I try to write fairly quickly without mm-hmm. getting in my own way and just see what blah, blah, blah comes out and then and then refine it later. That's kind of my approach. Yeah. But so, there, uh, I think where, we use most of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so where can people keep track of what you're up to? Where, where you're, Do you have much of a social media presence these I, days? 
don't. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I, and I really, it's really not smart professionally, but I just yeah. detest it. I'm sorry, I do. I do. I just don't think it's a healthy way for humans to co correspond. I, yeah. I, if anybody wants, I don't have. I can probably can't meet with everybody on Earth, but I'd love yeah. to have coffee with you. Yeah. <laughs> when when so we can do on, that. Yeah. If yeah. someone sees you on the street, you're giving them. It's okay to. Yeah. Say hello. Um, yeah. No. And it's it's really it's something I really believe in. Is I believe in making the people I love and care about my front page. That's yeah. my my. I don't want. I don't. I. I think the word like and the word friend should be highly valued and not bent, thrown about in such a uh, dismissive way. Totally get it, and I agree. Yeah, it's it's so true. Um, well, John, thank you so much for taking this time to chat about this film. Um, I, I just, you know, following your work over the years and being a fan of what you've been doing, I was so curious what, you know, your perspective was going to be on a film like this. I cannot, you know, imagine any composer walking into this and not being intimidated by the task. Just very because, intimidating. Yeah, it's it's a tall order, and I just I'm so happy with what you're able to achieve. Oh, so congratulations. Is, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate that. That feels great. And I think we've I think I think it's a it's a wonderful film. I encourage everybody to see it and to really think about it. So. Here we go.